Welcome to The Kick in the Cast, the audio blog of a wannabe podcast novelist. My name's Chris, and this is episode 11. Hello, and welcome back to The Kick in the Cast. Today, I have chapter 10 of Outcast for you, and afterward, I have a bit of an explanation as to what happened to me in August and why I was quiet. But for now, here's chapter 10 of Outcast. Outcast, a novel, written and read by Chris Fitzton. Chapter 10 Next morning, the place was heavy with the joint sense of tokia leaves and sickness. The first thing I did when I opened my eyes was to look towards where the cougar was sleeping to make sure she hadn't thrown up during the night. It didn't look like she had. Whatever I'd done the night before seemed to be working. She began to stir, and the first thing that came out of her muzzle was a low, painful moan. She rolled onto her side and gripped her abdomen tightly, whimpering softly. Her body must have gone through hell the day before for her muscles to be that painful. It only made me feel worse that when I first found her, I'd considered leaving her out there to her fate. Well, that was until she opened her eyes and saw me looking at her. I wasn't sure if it was anger, fear, or the shock of realizing she was indoors but she sprang to her feet and sunk into a fighting pose in a move so fluid it was poetry. Now, I wasn't trying to be chauvinistic or arrogant, but I didn't bother to stand. Instead, I merely sat up, stretched, and yawned. Well, good morning to you too, I said finally. Where am I? she demanded. Why am I here? She bared her fangs in a snarl and ran her tongue over her lips slowly. Once she did that, her savagery seemed to deflate as she tasted what remained of the Tokia leaf paste I'd put there the night before. Ugh, and what is this? Well, to answer your questions in order, I said, First, you're in my dwelling. Second, I took you in last night because you're sick. And third, what you just tasted there is part of what you'll need if you want to be cured. Cured? she asked. Cured of what? Theris fever, I replied. You threw up green bile last night. That's the first stage of the disease. It gets worse from there. I explained the phases of the fever's progression, and her stance seemed to relax a little. I moved over to the bucket that held the concoction she would have to drink, but she never took those amber eyes off me. In fact, they narrowed with suspicion. Why should I believe you? She countered. How do I know that's not some kind of a drug you used last night to... Okay, you know what? Fine. I got to my feet, and instead of confronting her, I walked over to where my shoes were and started putting them on. I then grabbed my coat and knapsack and moved towards the door. Where are you going? she demanded. Out, I said. I've got better things to do today than to argue with you. If you want to leave, that's your business. Just do me a favor. If you leave... Don't come back. I've already buried three people. I don't want to bury another. At this, her fighting stance seemed to soften. I could still see the defiance in her eyes, but I also noticed a growing fear behind it. Maybe I should have said something to calm her. 
However, by then I'd had enough of her attitude. I merely sighed and headed out the door. I made sure to grab the credit shit this time. The main road was a couple of kilometers away from my dwelling, and it gave me time to think as I made my way there. Why did I even bother to help her out? Grandfather had always taught me to be the better man, but really, was being the better man worth putting up with an attitude like hers? I wasn't looking for any, oh my hero, lines or anything, but a simple thank you would have been nice. By the time I reached the road, most of the anger I'd been feeling was gone. Whatever she did now was none of my business. I'd done my part, and the rest was up to her. The highway to which I'd walked was a four-lane road that connected the clan lands to Kerala City. Many of the skimmers that coursed down this road went in excess of 200 kilometers an hour, and it amazed me there weren't more accidents. Governors lined the sides of the highway, which could regulate the road's maximum allowable speed by communicating with the skimmer's onboard computer. This kept roads like this virtually free of accidents, though occasionally you'd hear of some grisly high-speed crash and catch a glimpse of the grease stain that was once a person. I pulled out my ID card and called up the transit application. I bookmarked my current location, giving it the name Home, before requesting a ride. After a few moments, the card informed me that a transport would be there in about 10 minutes. Given the time of day, I imagined it would be empty. These transports weren't the larger fixed-end types that ran on scheduled routes. Instead, they worked on a more demand-response premise, which meant fewer concurrent passengers as well as the option to travel alone. In hindsight, I should have made that request given where I was. All it would take would be for a clansman to be on that transport and recognize me, then the cougar would truly have to fend for herself. Sure enough, ten minutes later the transport showed up and it was thankfully empty. I boarded it and input my destination as the Kerala City Port Authority. Of all the places Cyrus had listed as potential job sites, this one seemed the most intriguing as well as the most anonymous. Servicing freighters both on water and from space, the Port Authority was a never-ending cycle of work, constantly transferring cargo to and from the many different ships that docked there. With my enhanced strength, I was sure I could get a job there. Though machines did most of the work, there was still a lot of physical work that only a person could do. Granted, that kind of work wouldn't be the most glamorous or intellectually challenging, but if it paid well, who really cared? The transport entered the city and was starting to make the odd stop to pick up a new passenger. I held my breath each time, wondering with each new arrival if they'd recognize me. Each time they didn't, I felt relieved and tried my best to just enjoy the ride. We wove through some of the residential areas on the outskirts of the city, and I remember gazing out at some of the homes I passed by. In each one, I caught a brief glimpse of families engaged in different activities, being from playing together or sitting on the porch and enjoying the warm day. What they all seemed to have in common was the fact that they were all together. Each house I passed showed indications that a happy family lived there, with parents, siblings, or other relatives all living together, steadfast in their bonds as families. It brought a small smile to my muzzle, and a tightness in my chest as I thought about my family and what they'd done to me. I thought about my little declaration the night I buried those kittens, about how I vowed to never again regain my honor. 
In the heat of the moment, it had sounded and felt right, but after watching all those houses, I began to realize what else I'd be giving up if I saw that oath through. I'd never again see Mother's smiling face, nor would I ever play with all my brothers and sisters. I'd never again hear Grandfather's voice as he told story after story of how things were when he was my age. I'd be defiant in my stance against clan dogma, but such an oath could cost me, oh, so much more. After an hour of stop-and-go travel, the transport finally came to a stop just by the main security office of the Port Authority. I quickly got out of my seat and exited the vehicle, and then I took a moment to gaze at what lay beyond the security fence. From where I was, I couldn't see much, save for several rows of cargo containers and a few different vehicles milling about. I was still far enough away from the docks themselves to actually see any water, though I could see the immense cranes towering in the distance like a row of alien harvesters, ready to strip any incoming vessel of their cargo, only to replace it with another. Suddenly, a thunderous roar filled the air. Off to the right, I saw a large freighter rise from what looked to be a hangar. Six engines glowed brightly as the ship slowly rose into the air and soon out of sight. I marveled to think that in a matter of minutes, that ship would be hurtling through space, heading for a distant planet I could only visit in my dreams. There was no doubt about it. This most certainly was the place for me. I headed towards the security building, pulling out my ID card as I did so. It wasn't until I stepped inside that the realization of what I was about to do hit me. I looked at my ID card, and then up at the person working at the desk. If the card was as good as Cyrus said it was, then there would be no problems. However, with my very life being on the line, one could well understand my growing doubt. Can I help you, lad? I looked up to see the worker staring right at me. He may have been a cheetah and physically smaller than most in my lineage, but he still looked ten feet tall to me. I wondered momentarily just how long he'd been watching me, but then decided I didn't want to know. My ears were warm with embarrassment as I approached the desk. I... I'm looking for work, I said. I put my card on the desk and tensed as the cheetah took it. He placed it face up on a pad connected to his hypernet terminal and tapped a few keys. The pad began to glow faintly, and I figured it must have been a card reader. Hmm, he said. Kane, eh? I nodded. Okay, Mr. Kane, everything's in order here. If we just head for the gate, one of our security personnel will meet you, and they'll escort you to the port manager's office. He returned my card to me, and I nodded before heading towards the door. Once outside, I breathed a huge sigh of relief. The damn thing worked. It hadn't been Dallin the Exile who'd made it past the security checkpoint. It had been Darian Kane, someone who only existed in the virtual world. I shivered at how liberating it felt, as though part of the stigma of being an exile had finally lifted off my shoulders. I walked proudly towards the security gate and met a husky-looking but no less feminine Black Panther. For a moment, I hesitated again, given that my recent experiences with Panthers was less than friendly. Thankfully, her facial markings weren't those of a Rondoki, so again I felt relieved. Right this way, she said. 
I passed through the open gate, and we walked side by side towards a small building off to the side of the yard. It stood on a bit of a rise, so whoever was there could theoretically oversee any yard operations. Here we are, she said. She punched in a security code on the door, and a moment later I heard the click of a lock disengaging. Right this way. She pulled the door open, and we stepped inside. We walked down a narrow hallway past several closed doors until we arrived at one that said Altris Barkaf, Port Manager. While I paused for half a heartbeat, my Panther escort didn't miss a step as she opened the door and walked inside. I was quick to follow. Mr. Barkaf? I heard her say. I looked around the office but couldn't see anyone, right up until I saw one large white tiger rise from behind a filing cabinet. My eyes went wide. As intimidating as that security work had been earlier, this guy was ten times that. His arms were the size of my thighs. Morning, Shariah, the white tiger said. His voice was thick with a Lakaian accent, which was no real surprise. After the war, many Lakaians flocked to Shanto, looking to rebuild their lives. Relying mostly on imported goods for their economy, working around dockyards was second nature to them. And how can I help you today? Got a new one here for you, she replied, nodding towards me. I stepped up, unable to take my eyes off this titanic yet jovial white tiger. He's already passed security. Was he? he said. His gray eyes suddenly locked on me, and I thought I was going to melt on the spot. Those eyes looked like they'd seen hundreds of new recruits like me pass through this office. In that handful of heartbeats, I was sure he knew everything about me. I began tensing, ready to break away from this place. What's your name, lad? he asked. Darian Kane, sir, I replied, trying to sound confident. Kane, eh? He scanned me again with those eyes of his. Gods, lad! You only just come of age, haven't you? A few months ago, yes. Then why are you looking to work here? he asked. This here is no place for someone to be cutting their teeth in the real world. His eyes narrowed in suspicion. Why are you coming here? he asked. My parents, they... I? I sighed. They were killed just after I came of age, I said. I had to move out of our apartment because I couldn't pay the rent. I had to sell everything I had just to settle what they owed. I slumped my shoulders. Now the money's gone and I need a job. I figured this would be the best place as any to start. Maybe I had overestimated that tiger's powers of perception, because I swear I actually saw his entire body seem to droop as I told my little story. Maybe I'd laid it on a little thick, but in truth I didn't want to risk losing this opportunity. Your card, lad. His voice had gone quite flat as I handed him my ID card. Like the cheetah before, he placed the card on a reader pad and punched a few keys on his terminal. I knows what's like, losing some important to you, he said as he reviewed my information. It's a feeling you don't soon forget. After a few moments, he took the card off the scanner and handed it back to me. Be here tomorrow morning by 0630, he said. You'll get your physical then, and if you pass it, you're going to work. Uh, th thank you, I said. 
The relief washed over me again as Shariah escorted me out of the dockmaster's office, and soon I found myself heading back to the security building. Altris sometimes comes off as a bit harsh, said the panther as we walked. But with all the injury claims and fatalities... Whoa, I said, fatalities? Granted, I figured there were some risks involved in working the docks, but that she said fatalities, as in plural of fatality, that was a bit more risk than I'd anticipated. It's usually an accident, she said. Or another damned exile trying to use this place as a suicide factory. You know, I once saw an exile walk out onto the tarmac just as a freighter was taken off. The blast from the engines cooked him in seconds. I stopped. I wasn't sure what shocked me more. The knowledge that some exile had taken their life in such a bizarre way, or that Shariah was passing the story off as easily as talking about the weather. I... I take it you don't have much time for exiles? I asked. She shook her head. They've caused me way too many sleepless nights, she said. Nearly every report I have to file with the police or the coroner's office involves an exile. How do they get in? I asked. Someone out there supplying them with fake ID cards, Shariah replied. I'd like to beat who's doing it and show them just how much of a hell they've made my life. I was fast beginning to wonder if my two non-clan panther friends, Max and Risha, were the only two decent members of that lineage. Shariah's little comment, to be honest, stung like a slap across the muzzle. What kind of a hell her life had become? Did she have any idea of what an exile went through day to day? At least she still had things like friends, a roof over her head, and the comfort of knowing she could move about without constantly looking over her shoulder. I kept my mouth shut as we finally made it to the gate. I thanked her cordially, and as she smiled back at me warmly, I remember having to stifle a growl. I also remember hearing the lyrics of an ancient Terran song playing through my head as I watched her return to her post just a few meters inside the fence, and knew those same lyrics would come up every time I thought of her. She ain't pretty. She just looks that way. I spent the next couple of hours moving from store to store, looking for supplies for the dwelling. With a job secured, those 250 credits I'd gotten from the Foundation didn't seem as precious as before. I really didn't want to go to Junktown for supper, so I figured I could have a home-cooked meal, such as it was. The lack of any cold storage tended to limit my choices in terms of what I could buy to eat. Perishables were out unless I ate them the same day. I got a hold of some camp meals which, for all the snide comments one hears about them, were far better than a handful of berries. They were a variant of combat rations and had their own self-heating device inside the packaging. Just press the button, wait five minutes, and dig in. I must have caught a sale that day, for I managed to purchase a week's worth of them and still managed to get a few other necessities. A second seal mat two blankets, toothbrushes and paste, and even a few candles. By the time I'd finished, I still had about 130 credits left. Not bad, considering all I'd bought. I had to admit that the second mat, along with the two blankets, had been more of an impulse buy than anything. While I was sure she was gone, I didn't want to be unprepared should I be wrong. If nothing else, the two blankets would ward off any cold nights should the weather take a turn for the worse. It was still spring, and springtime weather in Shanto was anything but predictable. I'd just taken out my ID card to summon a transport when I noticed a flashing icon on it.
I pressed it, and it opened a text message from an unknown source. It didn't really say much, just a street address and what looked like a timestamp. I shook my head. This card was really starting to freak me out, as though it was some mystery game I had to solve. I summoned a transport, and instead of selecting my home bookmark from the morning, I entered in the address from the message. I figured that whatever prompted the card to execute that text file had something to do with my getting a job. I could only conclude that the Foundation, or someone linked to them, had something to do with that address and the timestamp, which must have been a deadline. Luckily, I managed to arrive at the destination well ahead of the posted time, and for a moment, I thought this was some cruel joke. There was nothing unique about the two-story building to which I'd been guided, but the door with the correct address on it said, and I'm not kidding here, the KT School of Interpretive Dance. KT. Krasa Tlak. A dance instructor. The one who was going to teach me one of the deadliest martial arts known to my kind was a dance instructor? Well, I supposed everyone had to make a living. I pushed the door open and went inside. The foyer consisted of little more than a staircase that took me up to the second level. Once I was there, I made my way down a small hallway until I came to yet another door, this one bearing the same logo as the one outside. I pressed my ear to the door, half expecting to hear the muffled sounds of a piano or some other instrument, but only silence greeted me. So, with a deep breath and exhale, I pushed open the door. The room was huge. There was no other way to describe it. Huge, but empty. From the looks of it, this one room occupied half of the building's second floor. I could see several windows along the far wall, but most of them were opaque, thanks to transparent technology. Changing the transparency of these panels was as easy as flipping a switch and waiting a few seconds. I took a few steps into the room, the floor made of highly polished hardwood. I had to admit, it certainly looked like a dance studio but it could also pass for a war hall if it had a few little additions to it. You're early. The voice came from behind me, and I spun too quickly towards it. Krasa was standing there, dressed like a normal person. My ID card gave me this... I know, he interrupted. It was designed to do so once you'd found employment. He began walking towards me. Your card. It wasn't a request. I quickly fished the card out of my pocket and handed it to him. He examined it for a moment, and his left ear twitched slightly. The docks, he said. An interesting choice for one as young as you. He handed the card back. You do realize your days are not set, he said. The docks are in motion all hours of the day and night, and you will see all of those hours at some point. I know, I said. I'll quit if... All he did was hold up his hand, and I stopped talking at once. It never ceased to amaze me at the impact a mere gesture from him had on me. The retreats will need some fine-tuning, he said, but I'm sure we will arrive at a suitable compromise. When do you report for your first shift? Uh, tomorrow morning, 0630, I said. Very well. When you finish there, you will come here and your training will begin. I swallowed hard. Although this was the moment I'd been waiting for, I was still terrified. 
Perhaps it was those near-instinctive fears that one's religion instills in them when it comes to the unknown. But all those thoughts of the Dark One and the deal began to surface. Maybe it was because of the finality of it all. Once I started down that path, there would be no looking back. Whether I eventually regained my honor or not, I would always be a Lautari. I'll be here, I said. By agreeing to it, the fears seemed to fade. Cowardice would do me no good under his tutelage, so it was best to deal with it at the outset than let it fester inside. No. I knew I wanted this. I wanted that training, and with that agreement, I swore to myself that someday I would master the art of the Beast Walkers. No matter the cost. I made sure to specify that I wanted to travel alone on my return trip to my home destination. Heading back into the clanlands invited more risk of discovery by someone I knew, and the last thing I wanted was for a good day to end in conflict. From Cross's studio, it didn't take long before I left the city behind and soon found myself exiting the transport at the very spot at which this entire day began. It felt as though I'd come full circle, and I was returning to my dwelling better than when I'd left. I walked briskly, more than anxious to reach the tree line just ahead. It was hard not to break into a run as my mind recalled the last open field I'd been in and what happened that night. Still, I restrained myself and walked normally, though when I finally did melt into the forest, I felt immensely relieved. Once fear of discovery was gone, it was as if someone pulled a veil off my head and I was seeing my surroundings for the first time. Maybe it was the fact that I was finally moving forward with this somewhat shattered life, but all around me the forest just seemed to come alive. The trees all around me were beginning to show some green, and the air was thick with the scent of sap and earth. My whiskers came alive, as if the very pulse of the planet were somehow radiating through me. I rode this feeling for as long as I could, because once I reached the clearing where my dwelling stood, the feeling slowly began to fade. It stood there, reminding me of the reality of my situation, and that while I could temporarily fool myself into thinking I was free, I was, in fact, still a prisoner. I was still an exile. I was still a target. I said nothing as I opened the door, and only barely noticed that the cougar was still there. She whipped her head around at me and snarled for a moment, but as soon as she recognized me, her features seemed to relax. Well, if you can call going from a warning snarl to her normally abrasive attitude more relaxed. Took your sweet time getting back, she said. I refused to rise to the bait as I removed the knapsack and placed it on the floor. I knelt and opened it, retrieving all my purchases, including the mat and the blankets. This intrigued her. So, she said, you just had a feeling I'd still be here? Again, I said nothing. I didn't want to get into a shouting match with her. My friend Max always said that life was too short, and to waste it on trivial things was as criminal a thing as it was stupid. Once the cougar was well, she'd be on her way and I'd never have to listen to her again. At the same time, I'd have the satisfaction of knowing I helped someone who was in trouble. A win-win situation. Instead of arguing, I merely retrieved one of each flavor of the camp meals and showed them to her. Take your pick, I said. You're probably hungry. 
Despite trying to appear neutral and composed, I couldn't help but smirk as I saw the surprised look on her face. It was more of a combination of surprised and deflated, as though she'd been bracing for a fight, only to find it not there. I quickly shifted the smirk to something a little kinder. It wasn't that life was too short to waste it on fighting. It was the fact that I didn't want to fight. I had no quarrel with her, and her only issue with me seemed to be, well, just what exactly? She picked one of the meals I'd presented to her and activated the self-heating unit. I took a different flavor and did the same, and before long we were dining quietly. I had to admit, the meal was nothing compared to some of the feasts Mother and her servants had prepared back home, but for one as hungry as I, it more than hit the spot. Is it true what she said? she asked. I stopped eating and looked up at her. About this fever, is it fatal? I nodded. Untreated, I hear it can be rather gruesome, I said. Who taught you how to make the medicine? she asked. My grandfather. He showed me how nature can provide for just about everything. She snorted. Was your grandfather in exile too? No. He just took my sister and I aside one day and taught us about the different plants and their uses. Nothing formal. I didn't know if what she said had been an attempt at an insult, but I left that gauntlet where it lay. Okay, she said. If that's the case, then what else did he teach you? As calmly as I could, I ran through no less than two dozen indigenous plants in the Kerala Valley, including their uses, benefits, and how to use them in different types of natural remedies. I then went on to tell her about what fruits in the forest were edible, which ones were poisonous, and which had uses for things like dyes or some other forms of coloring. She said nothing, and instead merely rose. She headed over to the bucket containing the tokia mixture and took a cupful of it. She swallowed it down with a scowl before returning to where she'd been. How long do I have to take this? she asked. Twice a day for two weeks, I said. That will give your body enough time to develop an effective resistance to the virus. I made a mental note to check the place where I'd picked those leaves, just to make sure there were enough of them to make more medicine if needed. Two weeks, she sighed. Could be worse, I guess. Still with the insults, though for the most part the fire that had been in her words earlier was all but gone. Whatever animosity she'd had towards me seemed to be fading. I said nothing, and instead unrolled the new mat and put one of the blankets beside it. I took the other and handed it to the cougar, who took it and simply nodded her thanks. I saw her spread the blanket out before lying back down. She yawned twice, and I could see her eyes straining to stay open. The medicine must have had a drowsiness effect on people, something Grandfather didn't tell me. It was probably for the best, though. After all, the body heals best when at rest. She tried fighting the oncoming sleep, but eventually the medicine won out and her eyes closed. Just like the night before, I noticed again just how, well, beautiful she was when she wasn't awake. There was a softness to her, a kindness that seemed to radiate from her when her attitude wasn't blocking it. Grandmother used to say there were two ways you could tell the nature of one's soul. The first was by the eyes, and when that failed, the other was when they slept. Freed from the incessant control of the conscious mind, the sleeping form always reverts to its natural state. 
If that was true, then this cougar's tough exterior was little more than a show or a defense mechanism. I figured it was the latter, given her current situation. These days, no one except the completely destitute contracted Theris fever, so I could only imagine what kind of hell she'd been through. Compared to her, my own time as an exile had been easy so far. If that was the case, maybe there was hope. Maybe by being here and by receiving kindness, she'd let that kinder, gentler side come out and no longer be that tough bitch I'd come to know. I made up my mind there and then to make her see that maybe there was still hope in this world for people like us. It was a long shot, and maybe she was already too far gone. But still, I had to try, didn't I? Wasn't the willingness to try and better oneself akin to not giving up or giving in? I didn't know about her, but I wasn't ready to just roll over and give up on myself just yet. In the past two days, I'd already gotten a new name, a new job, and soon I was going to start training to becoming a Lautari. If I could just give a fraction of that determination to her, maybe she could forge for herself a better path. I finally started to feel tired myself and got ready for bed. In the dying firelight, I looked over at the sleeping cougar and smiled. I was looking forward to meeting the real her once the rough exterior of her personality wore away. Maybe it would all be for nothing, but if it helped me fill the dead spaces of what my life was about to become, then I welcomed the challenge. I'm glad you decided to stay, I said, just barely above a whisper. She coughed and snorted in reply. And that's our story. I do have to apologize for taking some unexpected time off from the show. It seems every time I commit myself to keeping a proper schedule with this, life has a tendency to throw something at me to make it nigh impossible to follow through. For August, it was mostly the weather. Skyrocketing temperatures combined with a place which really holds the heat well makes it difficult to record anything and have it sound the way it should. I mean, hey, all the technical advantages in the world are nothing if the voice doesn't sound genuine, right? Also, I've been concentrating on looking for work to get back to some semblance of a life with income. Many of the COVID-related relief programs I've been taking advantage of are beginning to expire on me, so this discount lifestyle I've been living is soon coming to an end. The reinstatement of what I normally pay per month won't be enough to completely break me financially, but it will make things tight for a while until I can get a new job. While I'm not in danger of losing my condo or anything like that, a lot of the fear, anxiety, and despair of unsuccessfully finding work is weighing heavily. Ain't just my luck to lose my last job before the pandemic hit. But here we are in September now. Things are calming down a bit on my side of the border. Many shops are open and serving customers, and it's interesting to see how businesses are adapting to this new and hopefully temporary normal. I mean, social distancing, masks, hand sanitizer everywhere. We're trying our best to prevent the spread while we wait for something more permanent to come along. Productivity has come in fits and spurts because of this messed up noggin of mine, but at least it has come. 
When I wrote Outcast, I did it mostly organically. That is, I sat at the keyboard and just let my mind go. I fell into the story as I wrote it, and at the end of a writing session, it was like coming out of a trance. My next project, A New Beginning, is feeling a lot like a dog straining on its leash, not sure which scent to follow, so I'm taking a different approach to it. While the first two chapters are done, I've switched to an outline mode to flesh out each part of the story, after which I can write it comfortably. With so many moving parts in this one, I think it is the best approach to getting it to completion. So I think I'll end it there for now. As always, thank you for tuning in. And if you'd like to leave me some feedback, you can email me at outcastnovel at gmail.com or leave an audio feedback via the SpeakPipe app at kickit.yo5.ca. Also, if you haven't subscribed to the show, you can do so at the show's website. You can also find me over at podchaser.com slash kickinthecast. So until next time, take care of yourselves, take care of each other, and above all, have a good week. This is Chris, signing out. Have a good one. Thank you for listening to The Kick in the Cast, the audio blog of a wannabe podcast novelist. For more information, please visit the show's website at kickit.yo5.ca. And to leave any feedback, please feel free to drop an email at outcastnovel at gmail.com. Thank you for listening, and hope to see you next time.